Welcome to The Rock Podcast. Here in chapter 5 of 1 Timothy, Paul instructs Timothy how to treat the pastors who serve alongside him in the church. There were things pastors could expect from the church, and there were also expectations for them as well. Let's join Pastor Ross now in a message entitled, Four Rules for Pastors. Alrighty, let's get started here. Let's get started. Grab your Bibles. I welcome you to return to your seats. Get settled in. Open to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 5, where we left off. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing, and we'll dive in. Now, Heavenly Father, we always want to acknowledge your presence here, your Holy Spirit. Lord, this is not an ordinary book. This is your word. It's alive and and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. Uh, We pray, God, that that sword would... Uh, cut into us, as it were, to do its work, to bring comfort on the deepest part of who we are, to bring instruction and correction as need be. Father God, encourage us, build us up, we pray, and show us how to live in a way that brings blessing and honor and glory to you, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Now, if you ask a pastor, what's your favorite book in the Bible? Don't be surprised if you hear this one, 1 Timothy, because it's a book written to a pastor from a pastor about how to direct the affairs of the church. Now, if it's not his favorite, for sure it'll be the most helpful, because you could describe the book of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, and actually Titus as well, as a leadership manual for church organization and administration. But that sounds a little boring, so we won't call it that. But let me assure you, as our regular listeners and attenders could testify to, that, that this book is anything but boring. Uh, it, it, for, for example, Paul says to Timothy about this manual book on church leadership. He says, this letter is to tell you how people ought to conduct themselves in the church of the living God, which is the foundation and the pillar of the truth. And so right off the start, you know from the key verse, there's a lot of passion in this manual. There's a lot of fire. There's confrontation. In fact, the word rebuke is mentioned eight times. And these are short little books. And so naming the bad guys, ousting them from the church, a call to ordinary Christians for courage and for believers to stand firm, to defend the gospel, not to be intimidated and be among those who will abandon the faith, who will fall away from the gospel. And so he's saying, Pastor Timothy, this is what a healthy church looks like. This is what godly leaders should act like. Here are their qualifications. And these are the things, Pastor Timothy, that you should be doing if you want to be an excellent, effective pastor. So here now, in chapter 5, in this manual of church administration, uh, 
Uh, Paul is going to talk really about, now he's been talking about different groups in the church, how a pastor should relate to them. And we saw earlier in chapter 5, he was talking about different genders and different ages. And so you'll recall last week, he said, when dealing as a pastor to men who are older, never rebuke them uh, sharply, but speak with gentleness and respect as you would to your own father. And then another group, he talked about the younger men. And then another group, he talked about the older women, how to pastor them effectively. And then he talked about the younger women. He said, with younger women, uh, you are to act with purity like your little sister, if you would. Now, Paul's kind of got a list in his head about how pastors, Pastor Timothy his, his, uh, the person he's mentoring, how he should be dealing with these different groups. So check, he's going down the list of the different people, their different ages, their different calls in life. And now, uh, after the general call, he went to the widows, people in need. There were two groups of widows in the church. Here's how to distinguish among them. Here's how to help those who are truly in need. Check. And now he's thinking of the next group. And the next group on Paul's mind are the other pastors. Timothy would be the lead pastor because he's writing to one person about how to exercise these uh, kinds of principles to the other men who are on the leadership team. So now he's going to talk about what is the protocol, what's the rule of the road for pastors on the church leadership team. Verse 17. The elders, same word for pastors, who direct the affairs of the church well, are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, for the Bible says, do not muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. So let's stop there. There are going to be four rules for pastors, and this would be rule number one, make sure they are provided for. Timothy, you've got some pastors working on staff. We want to make sure that their needs are taken care of so that they can help direct the affairs of the church and teach and preach, because if they're doing that, that's a full-time work, and they'll need to be compensated. Now, This is the first uh, of the four, verses 17 and 18. So we'll stop here and take a look at it. Uh, Right away, what do you see? You see the pastor's job description. It's quite clear. To direct the affairs of the church and to labor at preaching and teaching. Now, I told you that the word elders can also mean pastors, and pastors can be interchanged with overseer. Those are the three words that are used interchangeably to designate the job that we call pastor. So from now on, even though it says elder, I'm just going to use the other word that is often used in the New Testament for elder, which is pastor, which is, uh, just makes it a little bit more clear for us. So he says uh, pastors were to be adequately supported so that they could direct the affairs of the church. Now, let me tell you. A woman uh, left first service and said, oh, I really enjoyed the message today, but to tell you the truth, it was a little different for me. And whenever you hear different, it's code for, "Mm." (laughs) you know, it wasn't the usual, right? Uh, uh, And I said, how so? And she said, I felt like I was at a pastor's conference for pastors. 
because it's all about pastors. The four points is pastors, this, pastors, that, and yeah. And I said, isn't it important to know as a person who is pastored in the church what God expects from pastors and what pastors can expect from the church? And, uh, you know, Pastor Adam said it well. You know, I, I was talking to him about this text and I read it to him and he kind of laughed and said, you know, uh, it's kind of awkward to have to talk about this as a pastor. How to treat pastors from the mouth of a pastor. Uh, Barb, I read the passage to Barb and Barb said, wouldn't it be nice if you could have somebody from the outside just come in and talk about how to treat pastors so that you don't have to do it, right? Well, awkward as it may be, and this church makes things like this very not awkward, you know, and we, we just, it's important stuff. It's important to know God's thinking. You don't ever check out just because uh, it's not directly about you. There will be, trust me, plenty of implications and spiritual applications. You could ask, well, if that's the case, then what is he saying about me? Who have a, a relationship with a pastoral team. And so, yeah. My admonition to you is don't check out any time in the scriptures. All scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for training, showing us how to live right with God. Amen? Amen. Now, apparently some uh, didn't understand the whole idea about paying the pastor back in the day. And so uh, Paul is going to lay it out clearly here and give, quite frankly, just quote the Bible about it. And not only is he going to do it here, but he does it also in multiple places in the New Testament. And, and so in, in this verse, he goes Old Testament and New. A verse from old, do not muzzle the ox while he's treading out the grain, Deuteronomy chapter 25. And then he quotes Luke's gospel, calling it scripture. For the scripture says, the worker is worthy of his wages. Who said that? Jesus. Where? Luke chapter 10. Verse 9, verbatim. So Luke's gospel's out at the time of Paul's writing, and Paul is calling it scripture. Now, let's talk about this. First, he says, the pastors who are doing a good job managing the church, doing the work of preaching and teaching, are worthy of double honor. Well, what does that mean? I'm glad you're asking me that, because I'm going to tell you. (laughs) Now, uh, what it means is this. You can't know what it means unless you've been reading the chapter because the word honor is used before. And it says, honor widows who are really widows. Part of that word means to compensate, to support. So honoring the widows means to provide for them, for their needs. Uh, The Greek verb is tamao. It has two meanings, the word honor. It means to respect the duh, right? And number two is to compensate or to support. And you can see that still in the English where we get the word honorarium. Honorarium is kind of a church word. When a speaker comes and a pastor fills in for me, whether it's here, the guys here, or someone from the outside, they get an honorarium. An honorarium is a a fee for services rendered, right? So you give them a stipend, whatever you want to call it, salaries or or whatever. It's an honorarium, and that's what this word honor 
means in the sense of financial compensation for services rendered, if you will. Now, uh, what does double honor mean? Well, I've heard it abused. You know, if you turn on the TV, you know, somebody will use this and say it means double payment. Yeah, no, it doesn't. As tempting as that would be, right? It, It doesn't. It means pastors are worthy of the twofold double meaning of the word honor to respect the office and to compensate. That's all. Adequate compensation. That's all that word means. And so. One paraphrase had it pretty good captured the spirit of that phrase. If the needy widows are worthy of financial support, how much more the men who teach and preach uh, and do the work, full-time work of managing the affairs of the church. That's the idea there with the word honor. So uh, now notice this. I love this. Leaders can expect respect and support with two conditions. One, that they do a good job. Check your text. What does it say? It says the pastor's doing a good job who direct the affairs of the church well. The Spirit isn't recommending that someone who's doing a poor job be compensated. For someone who doesn't take the the calling of teaching and preaching seriously, who neglects that, that's their role. The The word pastor comes to feed. It's from the Greek word to feed. Right? So if they're not pastoring and they're not managing the affairs of the church well, then this verse does not apply. But if they are, then he says, then it's worthwhile showing respect and also meeting their needs. Now, so Paul's going to say, hey, and let me quote two scriptures for you. And he says, uh, this is always the reason we do something in church or we refrain from doing something in church because we could say the scripture says... Scripture is another word for Bible. So you can say, well, the reason we do this, folks, is because the Bible says, and then a quote. Now, (laughs) you cannot do that anymore today. Oh, with the progressives, the progressives, the postmodern Christians who have cast aspersions and doubts upon the authority of the word of God. You try saying to somebody who's going to uh, question sexual immorality or the sanctity of marriage, try using what Paul just said and saying, well, the Bible says. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> They'll laugh. They'll roll their eyes. And they'll treat you in a condescending way as the unlightened person that you are. When you say, well, the Bible, so doesn't the Bible say in Romans chapter 1 that uh, that's a no-go with God? (laughs) Is that what it really says, you see? But Paul's not afraid to say, hey, listen, the the position of the pastor, Timothy, you're working with pastors. The position of these other guys do everything to foster respect and to make sure that they're paid for the Bible says, and then he quotes Deuteronomy, the Old Testament. He quotes Deuteronomy, the law, to substantiate a current practice. I want you to show them respect, the guys you work with. I want you to show them respect, and I want you to pay them, because the Bible says in the Old Testament, Paul, come on, that's the Old Testament. Oh, how many times I'll say, well, in the Bible it says da-da-da-da, but that's the Old Testament. Are you kidding me? (laughs) 
Are you kidding me? That's the Old Testament and you turn up your nose? That's called the Bible. That's called the Bible. Now, listen. We rightly divide the word of truth. So in other words, the ceremonial laws, the the sacrifices, the Levitical codes that are all swallowed up in Jesus and fulfilled don't apply anymore. The dietary codes that kept Israel from sitting at table with pagans. It's over with. Because the gospel came to the whole earth. The Messiah came from Israel. It's done. National laws that, that are given for a nation don't apply to a church of people. Outside of that, my friends, the Old Testament is the word of the living God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, those things in the Old Testament were written for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse (laughs) 4-ish. Those words were written for us. I'll find it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Those things were, I think it's verse 11. That's my vote. All right. Those things were written for us. How many times is the Old Testament quoted in the New Testament? 890 times. 890 times. That's the Old Testament. 890 times. You know what Zondervan's Bible commentary says? Whether it's indirect or direct, the Old Testament is used for. 1,105 times in the New Testament. Do not ever think lowly of the Old Testament. It's the scripture and as such it is profitable for all training in life and godliness to show us how to be right with God. Amen? Amen. Now that I've completely lost my place in my notes because I just can't keep organized... Yes, we will move on. Now, to the text. He quotes Deuteronomy 25 and verse 4. He says, listen, these guys need to be compensated because the Bible says, Deuteronomy 25, verse 4, do not muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain. Very interesting. Now, let me explain what that verse means. Most of you already have it down. Grain was harvested into piles, right? The husks needed to be separated from the kernel. So it could be useful to be made into yummy bread to sustain us. You'll start to see the parallels right away. The oxen would pull kind of weighted sleds over the grain to break the husks apart. Now, why was that a problem? Well, no farmer, no Jewish farmer, no Israeli farmer would ever muzzle his own ox because you would just be running your animal into the ground. You would not do that. You would not not put an oil change into your own tractor. You wouldn't do that. Here's what they were doing. They would borrow the service animal. They would borrow a neighbor's ox and then they'd muzzle it as it threshed out their field so that the oxen couldn't eat away some of the proceeds that they were making. So they're using and abusing the tool of a neighbor. And God says, you know what? That's just wanting something for nothing 
And therefore, he put that in the law. You don't disrespect your neighbor's possession like that. Don't be such a taker. Be a giver. That's the spirit of it. Now, Paul uses do not muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain in 1 Corinthians 9, a second place. And he goes on to elaborate. And he says, you, you don't think this was about the ox, Right? He says in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, that was written for us. He goes on to explain, really. He says, the borrowed ox is the pastor on loan from God to do a service for the congregation. The threshing is the preaching and the teaching which provides the food. I love going to a conference where a pastor will get up and he'll read a text, right? And it's got the husks on it. I'm like, okay, yeah, I kind of get what it means. And then he drives the sled over it. And he goes up and down and up and down. And I'm like, whoa, I didn't know you could get that out of that simple text. And I'm like, wow, I'm fed. The husk comes apart. The kernel's there. You can start making a little bit of bread. And you smell that warm bread coming out of the oven. And you're, you're like, when the ox is going back and forth and he's got sweat on his withers, Right? Paul says, don't muzzle that tool, that tool. Compensate, refresh them because they're providing a service for you. Don't take it. Timothy, do not take advantage of those guys. That's what I hear him saying. Do not just say, hey, work it out, work it out, work it out. And don't think of, hey, they've got jobs. They, they, They don't have jobs. During the time they could be working out there, they're working in here. Compensate them. That's what he's telling Timothy to do. And then he goes to our Lord's word, which is really nice. Luke chapter 10 and verse 7. I quoted a different uh, verse there. But he says, and by the way, not only Moses wrote about it, but Jesus said in himself, the worker is worthy of his wages. Now, the context of that, Jesus sending out 70 workers there in Luke chapter 10, two by two, and he says, go into these towns, preach and teach, do the work of the gospel, minister to people, and bring healing, and all of these things. He says, oh, about money. Don't worry about the money. Luke chapter 10. Don't worry about the money. Don't worry about how we're going to sustain ourselves while we're doing this work. Because God speaking, Jesus, I consider what you guys are doing as a job, a full-time job. So men who are going out for me, Christian workers, shoulders back, walk up right. You're not getting charity. Somebody's not just paying you guys to go into these villages. Oh, we're going to have a heart and just pay these poor guys. They don't know how, what else to do in life. <laughs> They can't make a living anywhere else. So let's just uh, give them something. He says, the worker, the worker is worthy of the wages for services rendered. Jesus is saying, I see it as a job. I see it as a job. That's all Jesus is saying. And guys, you can see it as a job. You don't have to feel bad. They give to me. I give to you. It's all good. Amen? Now, oh, and how does that work out? Oh, there's a lot of abuse here. Oh, oy vey. In the church world, 
There's an app for this. <laughs> there, there, there are books and manuals that say the official guideline for church administration and ministerial compensation. And they take the area of the country and they take your years of experience and degrees and seminary and, pra- and uh, experience and size of church and they have charts and they give ranges and they say this is normal. Right here, hit the middle. That's what uh, Pastor Rich, at uh, many many years ago at Hessel Church, loaned me that book in the early days. It was so very helpful. That's the book we use. That's the book Hessel uses. It's the book that most people use, churches use. Now, of course, you're thinking that lady was right. I am at a pastor's conference. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm going to try that one one more time. Okay. It's interesting, isn't it? Yes. I thought so. Very good. All right. Because you don't want to be sitting there and thinking, you know, if it's not directly relating to me, then I'm checking out and going to rearrange the furniture in my mind. <laughs> right? Good. Rule number two. So... <laughs> You're just, I heard a woman just now getting the joke. Okay, rule number two. Do not entertain an accusation against a pastor unless it's brought by two or three witnesses. Rule number two. Make sure you protect these guys' reputations. Guard them from malicious and unsubstantiated uh, accusations. Now, the fact of life ministry settings, and ministry itself is not always well received. Um, Ray Stedman is a name you ought to know. He's with the Lord now, but he was a, a really renowned Bible teacher in the Bay Area. He started Peninsula Bible Church, and uh, he's just, just the pastor's pastor. And here's what he said about this. Charges against pastors must be supported by more than one person. That is because pastors are in public view and oftentimes they have to say unpleasant things to people. Now, they don't have to say them, he goes on, in unpleasant ways, of course, but sometimes people strike back, uh, they try to get even, and sometimes by slandering the pastors or starting rumors. Now, So in public ministry, Timothy, listen, about these guys, they're doing the work and they're getting into people's lives and they're speaking truth. And listen, the truth will set you free. Jesus said, John 8. That is if you can get over the hurdle of becoming defensive and receiving the truth. What do you think we say? The truth hurts. Why? Sometimes we like to hear the truth and other times we don't. And in those cases, people can get frustrated with the truth teller. And he's saying, Timothy, watch out for these guys. You know, people start getting upset with what you're telling them. And then they start devising ways to get even with you. You embarrassed me or you made me feel bad or you hurt my kids' feelings in youth group or whatever. You hear it all day long. Not, I, I don't, but, you know, you can hear it all day long in other churches. Amen. <laughs> All right, <laughs> moving on. You know what I love? I love Proverbs 18 and verse 17. The Living Bible puts it this way. 
Any story sounds true until someone tells the other side and sets the record straight. So, uh, uh, amen? Yes. You know, so, oh, hey, Pastor John. Blah, 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 blah. And then you hear, hey, Pastor John, what happened there? And then he tells you, and you're like, oh, oh, now I understand. Now, here's a nice quote to help you with that about this verse. The word charges in the Greek has a formal legal feel to it. So Paul's saying, Timothy, make sure it's worthy of the whole exercise of church discipline. That is, that it's substantial and significant. There's lots of things that may rub a person the wrong way about a Christian leader. From personality to ministry style. Paul wants Timothy to discern whether there's really a sin issue here or whether it's a matter of a soured relationship, hurt feelings, mutual misunderstandings, or differences of opinions rather than moral and ethical or biblical violations. So he says, listen, take your time, listen to both sides, make sure it's legit. If it's not legit, don't entertain it. Protect them. But if it is legit, let's continue the conversation. Verse 20. Those who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that the others may take warning. Verse 21. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and do nothing out of favoritism. Love these verses. All right. So, uh, so rule number uh, three. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, make sure if the pastors are sinning to pursue their repentance. Pursue their repentance. And you could do that by make sure you confront them and correct them in formal and proper and biblical Ways And so when the private meeting, because, you know, Matthew 18 tells us about regular problems with everybody and how you're supposed to take one or two people and you go privately, you try to reason together to work out. And if that doesn't work and there's unrepentance and it's serious and it's causing problems and then you need to take it up a notch. That's what he's saying. Now, apparently these sins are pretty serious. And they're done publicly. So when they're serious and they're public, they, there needs to be serious and public response. Now, the word uh, confront there, uh, publicly confront those who are persisting in sin. That's a really good translation of that word sin because in Greek, it means to, it's in continuous mode. So you've gone to the guy, it's substantiated. Uh, he's called on the carpet and he's still doing it. Now, we're talking about things like moral failures, pornography, um, greed, um, ex- extortion, these things lying, embezzling church funds, not being honest. You know, those terrible kinds of sins. And he says, uh, rebuke them in an official way. Now, I take this as when he says public to do it before the church, and many churches agree and do it this way, before the church leadership. 
me, not the church family on a Sunday morning. All right. Though some churches see it that way. And to be perfectly honest with you, you could read that here and there in the New Testament. I personally believe that it, when you have the church eldership, when you have the leadership team, you have the church. That's the church. You're bringing something before the church. And so uh, this is what's going on. And uh, you know that word rebuke, is it's mentioned eight times in the pastoral epistles. Eight times. Uh, so it is something. Now the word rebuke there means to, and I quote from a uh, Bible commentary, to show someone their sin and to summon him to repentance. Now, Galatians 6.1 gives us a really, I love this New Living Bible. If another Christian is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently, should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right track. And be careful uh, not to fall into the same temptation yourself. So the spirit of this official, we're bringing you before the guys here. We've got to confront you on this. And confront, by the way, the rebuke means... Uh, to remove them, right? It's just not like a scolding. It's to remove them. And you're not making your living this way anymore because you're refusing, you're embezzling from the church. And we have proof or whatever. I'm just making stuff up off the top of my head, right? I mean, if there's a moral failure, I mean, that's a, you just, you don't just say, hey, you got to stop doing that. <laughs> you know, you're fired. That's what the word means. You're, you, you can't go on doing that. You correct them. Uh, so you bring them before. Now, why, why in such a formal way? Well, he says, first of all, the person being corrected is inclined to repent, right? Um, because of all the problem and pain brought upon him. But verse 20, very interesting. Paul adds, I want you to do this before the team, publicly, with everybody present, with somebody taking minutes, because it will help the rest to take warning, literally in the Greek, and the rest, we take it as meaning the rest of the pastors. That's the context. So you take him before, he's fired, he's dealt with. Uh, There's a plan laid out for restoration for those who are uh, open and repenting and wanting to get help, right? But um, here it says that literally that the others may have fear. That the others may have fear. Oh, it's the good kind of fear. It's the fear that we all should have. It's the beginning of wisdom. <laughs> right? It's called the fear of the Lord. And when you have the fear of the Lord, well, it says, Proverbs 16, verse 6, it says, the fear of the Lord turns a man from evil. And so Paul says, hey, make it serious. Don't kid around here with these kinds of things. Now, as a former professor at a seminary, with these young, fresh uh, seminarians who want to be pastors sitting around my table. I want to say, hey, you guys, number one quality of all pastors, you should strive for moral fortitude. Now, there's one thing to say that to somebody and then say, but actually, I want to take you guys on a field trip. All right? So let's say, and I'm just talking now, 
Let's say that during the week we heard of a prominent pastor on staff somewhere had a moral failure. And Sunday morning, I want you guys to come with me. We're going to sit in the fellowship. We're going to go to their church where the church is heard, read about it in the paper. Everybody's talking. But Sunday morning is the time you're going to hear what happened and what's going on. Gentlemen, it's one thing for me to tell you. You've got to have moral fortitude. It's another thing to get in the car, go down to that church, let's sit in the pews. So we, you worship. Everybody knows it's coming. It gets quiet. The whole church is gathered. Nobody's breathing. Up comes one of the pastors. Depends who's in trouble. <laughs> is it the assistant pastor, the pastor, whoever? Up he comes. Grabs the microphone. Awkward. Kind of shaking. I'm here to tell you what happened to John. Here's what happened, church. The crying starts. The wife, devastated. The, the grown children, red face, want to die. The kid's trying to graduate. His dad's in the paper. The girl's engaged. She's going to try to have a wedding. The congregation trusted the people he baptized, weeping, thinking their faith is a sham. What can I even believe from what he taught me for years and years and years? People getting up, losing their their cool, saying things on their way out, slamming the door church service the church splitting gentlemen it's one thing for me to say now you guys need to really keep your moral fortitude man because you're going to need it it's another thing for you to sit and feel that and connect it to the next stupid thought you have here's your opportunity nobody's looking nobody will ever know And every single one of us has that thought. Every single one of us. Here's your chance. Come on. You kind of deserve it. You've been good for so long. (laughs) You know? And it's not like you're going to Z. Just go to B from A. And go, go to C from B. And go to D from C. And then E and F. I'm not asking you to go to Z. But you're going to wake up at Z. And you're going to end up getting rebuked in front of the church and destroying everything. Moral fortitude. I just tell a guy, when you get a stupid thought, just speed it up. Speed up the tape. Speed up the tape. Okay, there you go. You get your whatever. Your, your, you get your thing. You do your deed. Then what? Then you get caught. Then what? Oh, my wife and my kids. I could lose them. Then what? Oh, yeah, you're visiting, bro. You're visiting your kids every other week. Then what? They grow up and they're not very happy with you. Then what? One of them repeats your kinds of sins. Then what? Right? It's always good. Every time you get a stupid thought, a temptation, just say, then what? Speed it up to the end when you have to stand before your Savior and look him in the face. And he goes, what was up with that? What was up with that? Scars. What was up with that? See, so this sermon has more to do with you than you thought. (laughs) 
Surprise! Surprise! And I'll tell you what, that wasn't in my first sermon. I threw that in because I heard comments. <laughs> I'm like, how can I help these people to be interested? Well, the... I think you got interested. Now, you know that sick feeling that you've all been uncomfortable with right now? Paul, poor Timothy. He is not known for his courage. Timothy's known for his Timothy's timidity. All right? So that's hard to say. It's like a roller coaster for the tongue. Timothy's timidity. Try it. Try it out. What? <laughs> Timothy's always being told, God, hey, Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear. But a power, love, and a sound mind, bro, come on. He's always, hey, bro, fan into flame the gifts of God. Remember, everybody laid hands on you, bro. Come on. I don't know what just happened to me, but <laughs> I decided to bring it up a notch, all right? So, so here's what he says. Paul says, I know what that guy's thinking. <sighs> I thought, oh, oh, no. I'm going to have to rebuke him in front of everybody. Oh, no. So he says, hey, oh. I charge you in the sight of the unseen God and of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and I'll throw in, just for kicks, the elect angels. <laughs> the elect angels. Elect just means chosen. The ones that didn't fall and became demons. So he says, you know what? Don't you even think about backing down from this as uncomfortable, Timothy, as it makes you. As much as you hate to confront people, it doesn't matter how you're related to the guy. Timothy, it doesn't matter how much money he makes. Timothy, oh, I know what you're thinking. How much trouble he'll cause if I call him out, if I back this dude into a corner like that. Oh, you have no idea the ramifications for me and my family and the church. I charge you before God. You don't show anybody a free pass to be sinning in the office of the pastor. It just doesn't matter. So he, t- he, he puts him, he says, I want you to swear to God that you're not going to let your personal bias get in the way or your personal fears or your personal issues. I'm not a confronter. Who cares? <laughs> This is your job. You will do it. And if that's the case, you will stand up and you will take matters. Why? Because, Timothy, the board of supervisors is God the Father, God the Son, and holy angels. They're the eyes watching this guy, and they're the guys who want you to take action in their name, his name. I was just thinking of this actress I read about, Reese Witherspoon. Uh, She's in a lot of movies. A lot of movies I don't watch, (laughs) but she's in a lot of movies. Her husband got pulled over years ago for a DUI. She was very angry about that. She got out of the car, walked around in the officer, and she said, you're about to find out who I am. I'm a Hollywood actress. And he said, you're about to find out who I am. I'm a police officer. Get in the back of the car. And he arrested her, right? You're about to find out who I am? Honestly? So uh, me and a church friend talking, as we often do. (laughs) 
And uh, he said one time he had to talk to a guy sharply. (laughs) I mean, rebuke him. And the guy pushed back and said to him, you don't know how much I give to this church, apparently. And my pastor friend, pretty funny. He said, oh, no, I'm well aware. You tell a lot of people. (laughs) I could tell you stories. I charge you, Timothy, before God, Christ Jesus our Lord, and the angels who will appear with him on that day. He busts through the clouds. Guess who's seen behind him? The holy angels. They're involved. And they're with us, the scriptures say. I charge you in their sight. Do the job without partiality. Amen? Amen. All right. Lastly, number four, right? Let's finish up. Verse 22. Now don't be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Now here's kind of a random statement that will make sense after I tread out the grain for you. (laughs) 23. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Verse 24. Now the sins of some men are obvious. They're conspicuous. Going before them to judgment. But the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, but even those that are not cannot remain hidden. All right, so if you're taking notes, number four, Timothy, prepare these men to succeed by not rushing the restoration process, by laying hands on them to reinstate them after they have sinned, do not be quick to restore them hastily because by doing so and you rush the process, you're identifying with them and you'll share. Your name will be dragged into it and you kind of of have a responsibility. You gave them a platform. You said, okay, the, the restoration done, the process is done. He shed the tears. He went to counseling, you know, and so next month it's okay. We can hear from pastor whoever. No, that's not scriptural. You, you, depending on what failure has happened, it, it could be years. It should be. It should be years. And why? He gives a good reason. He said, well, first of all, bad characters, very easy to spot. He says, and their sins have reached the place of judgment ahead of them. Meaning that it only takes 30 seconds to be with somebody you know they don't qualify to be a pastor. From their speech, their attitude, you know, you don't need. And the the part of the verse that says their sins have reached the place of judgment ahead of them, which means they're already paying the consequences of their bad choices. They're sinning. So in other words, it's obvious because the judgment of doing sin is evident in their life. They have legal troubles. They have marital problems. Their, their, their life is kind of in chaos. So the judgment of those sins, of course there'll be judgment later, 
But the judgment now has already reached them. It's caught up with them, all their bad behavior. And their life's a mess, so that's not the problem. That's not our problem here. He says, you know what, Timothy? The problem is why you need patience and time and experience and opportunity is because some men have the ability socially to conceal their sinning, to hide and to mask, to say all the right words, to use their gifts and their charisma and their personality. They know what to say. But he says, those, but they're still sinning. But you just don't know it. But if you give enough time, those sins that are trailing behind will catch up. But not if you don't give them time. See, they're, they're trailing behind. And you say, hey, he's repented. He said all the right words. He's went to anger management. He got an A plus. You know, whatever. I'm making stuff up again. Right? <laughs> but then they catch up, right? So he says, wait until character surfaces. You know what I love? He says, good works are like that too. That he says, sometimes you're going to see a guy that's not very lackluster, that is lackluster. He's not very charismatic, and you may say, hey, you know, you're not really, I don't see you as a pastor. He says, oh, just give him time. And then you see how he is with this quiet, steady faithfulness and adversity. You see his loyalty. You see his love for people. You see his patience, goodness, and kindness, right? And he says, oh, now these good works also that are sometimes hidden because the guy's introverted or he's shy, those good works will surface as well. So it's good for the guys who you might pass over and think, hey, we can't lay hands on you. You don't have enough of something. Oh, there are heroes hidden and obscure in some people's hearts. They just need time and opportunity to let that goodness come out. That's what he's saying. Either way, either way, the bad character likes sin, like oil and vinegar. You know, the, the oil always will come to the top. He says, you've got to let sin rise to the surface so that you can see it, so that you don't lay hands on them. You know, like I said, he says, you, do you want to share in their sins? Do you want to hear the name of your church named in the press Democrat with that name and that sin? You share in it. You didn't wait. You didn't properly vet him. Oh, he won you over with charm and good deeds and all of this stuff, but you didn't, you didn't properly dig. You didn't properly wait. You didn't watch him when the bottom falls out or when he gets insulted or when he has a fight with his wife. You don't, you, you don't know any of that. And then one day, he does the deed. And whose name is in the paper? Yours. He says, keep yourself pure by keeping distance until character is manifest. Now, he says, speaking of pure, I don't mean abstaining from alcohol like we know you're doing. Paul's opponents in that church, the false teachers, were drunkards. Timothy is abstaining for conscience sake and to role model. He's saying, church, you're never going to see a glass of wine rise to these lips in light of this situation. Paul says, speaking of purity, man, 
it's okay since you are sick all the time. You've got these frequent illnesses. Use a little of that wine. Mix it in your water. Drink it medicinally. He's not telling the guy, you know, you're a little wound up tight, man. You need us to do. You do. <laughs> yeah, you know how people think, you know. He's not saying, hey, man, you need to be a social drinker. Here's what he's saying. Now listen to me. There's a product that you can use for your frequent illnesses that will bring healing to you. I want you to go out and get the product and use it so that you can experience relief and healing. The Apostle Paul. There's a product that you can go and get. I could heal you, but I'm not because God isn't prompting that way because God sometimes says, you know what? Instead of healing, I'm going to use this. Why, why doesn't Paul heal him? Why does he say, hey, dude, you need to pray. You need to seek out a healer and get healed of these frequent ailments. No, instead he says, there's a product out there that is known for it. It's a home remedy. I want you to get the product. Go and get it. Use it. Because it's going to help you. Apostle Paul. It's okay, Christian, to go to the pharmacy. It really is. God uses home remedies. He uses medicine. He uses doctors. He could have he said, hey, man, you just got to trust God more. You're not doing something right because you've got some frequent illnesses. But he says, hey, I know something out there that can help you. Go and get it. Because God ultimately is the one who blesses that kind of thing. So when you go to the pharmacy, you go to the pharmacy in faith that God is going to cause this thing to help you, to bring relief, to bring healing. Sometimes God can and does do miraculous healings. But other times he says, hey, there's a product. And I have given you a product. Use it. Use the doctor, Dr. Luke. Use the product as a medicinal remedy. All right, so what do we got here? We got four, four takeaways. Pastor Timothy, about these guys, the, the workers worthy of his wages, number one, provide for their needs, Timothy. Watch out for them. Don't use them and abuse them. Number two, Timothy, it's a battlefield out there. Protect their reputation. They're going to be talking. People are going to talk. Make sure it's substantiated, man. Just guard them. And they're going to take a lot of verbal stuff. Number three, Timothy, sometimes leaders fail. And if a pastor is sinning, pursue his repentance in a way that's helpful to him and to others. And lastly, restoration and healing takes time, Timothy. Don't rush the process. Give character a chance to surface before you appoint anyone to spiritual responsibilities in the church. Hey, you know, giving it time is good in friendship. The Proverbs say, be cautious. The righteous are cautious in friendship. Why? Because friendship, you open a heart. You give them all your passcodes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know what I mean. You're vulnerable. You tell your secrets. You share. Nobody can hurt you like a friend. Be cautious in friendship. Not cynical and suspicious of everybody. Just cautious. Right? 
Be cautious in courting. The longer, the better, I think. You know, one year, a year and a half is kind of, you know, the norm. I asked Barb to marry me on the third date. So, (laughs) forget everything I just said. (laughs) 30 years later. All right, let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, we love you. We... These truths do have a lot to do with all of us, Lord. They have implications as we live our Christian life in congregational community. We ask, Lord, that the thing that you wanted us to get from this would stay with us and that you would help us to implement these truths so we can be blessed and be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.